Miami Art Season, which is actually part of the Untitled Art Podcast. The panel is the first of a series of conversations revolving around Miami's role in the arts and part of a collaboration between Untitled Art and Soho House, both in Miami and New York, in our efforts to create programming beyond Miami Art Week. The second conversation is also scheduled for November 8th, so please all save the day. I am delighted to introduce our moderator, Omar Lopez Chahur, which is artistic director and creator of Untitled Art, who will be in conversation with independent curator and editor, Natalia Tuluaga, co-director of Name Publications, and Gabriel Quilongo, founder of Jupiter, one of Miami's newest galleries, both first-time Untitled Art exhibitors. Before handing over the mic, I want to thank Soho House, the Art Club, and Ana Clara Silva for making this possible. I hope you all enjoy the talk. Thank you. Thank you, Clara. Um, I have to say I'm very honored to be in conversation with both of you. I've known you for a long time, Natalia, and uh, your new uh, project is, is amazing. Uh, and Gabriel, welcome to Miami. Gabriel um, and I met for lunch in, in, in New York not too long ago, and we really connected. Um, and uh, Gabriel um, has a degree in curatorial studies from Bard College. So he's also a curator, Natalia. So I'm sitting with two curators that have taken the initiative to open spaces in Miami and um, a city that is definitely uh, changing day by day. And I think that will be part of the conversation that we're going to have tonight and get a sense of where uh, or why they decided to open here in Miami. So here goes my first question to both of you. Uh, let's start with Natalia. <laughs> What made you open a physical space? Because now we talk about spaces that are not physical because a lot of things uh, during the pandemic, as you know, uh, shifted into a different space that is not physical. But you decided to open with Jim Moreno, who is also not, he, Jane is not here. This space, give us a, a, a little bit of uh, why a little bit of, I don't know, history yeah. there. So I think maybe to understand that is to let you know a little bit about NAME. We started back in 2008, actually, as a nonprofit organization. And we primarily focused on making books. We started making books for artists here in Miami. And that evolved into making books with organizations and scholars and other curators. But both Jean and I are editors and curators. And so we'd always find outlets or different projects for what we were doing at Name. And the pandemic happened. And we were emailing a lot. And we're neighbors. We live five blocks away from each other. And it was getting a little tiring that everything was happening remotely. And we always had these ambitions. It's like, what's going to happen next with Name? Like, how are we going to grow this project? And how is it going to be sustainable? Because that is always the question here for Miami and for its organizations. It's like, how do you make this survive in this environment? And so we had the brilliant idea to open up a space on Bird Road down in West Miami. <laughs> um, and it's a small gallery space. And the idea was like, okay, 
let's start doing what we love, which is actually to incorporating an exhibition component to this. Let's add artwork to our already sort of growing publication program. Um, and let's try to see if we can find moments of reconnection during a time that we had lost so much of that during the pandemic. And so part of the impetus was precisely that, was to find another way of getting together. And I have to say that I love the location because it's not a predictable location. It's in a part of Miami that in some ways is all Miami. It is all Miami. So, but it's not in the typical, you know, it's not Wynwood, it's not, uh, I don't know, Little Haiti, it's not, why South Miami? I think because of that, I think there's a, there's a big drive here for cultural organizations to think that the only place that they could be is out east. You know, that the, the only place that has like a community that will come to them is out on this side. And there was really a very little history of organizations and galleries. I mean, yes, it is Old Miami. There is that Bird Road Arts District and things like this, but it hadn't been activated with the kind of program universities there. We just thought we're like, wait, there's two universities within two miles of this. There's Coral Gables here. There's South Miami here. There's like, this is actually where a big portion of the city actually lives. And so that was the emphasis. We were just like, oh, let's go the opposite way. Let's swim to the other side and see what happens. So, I mean, for all the reasons that you say, it was why we wanted to be there. We wanted to be on the opposite side. But it's, it's, it's a neighborhood that I encourage you to visit because it's, it's um, if you're interested in the history of the city, a lot of things happen. Um, I'm talking about probably the 1920s, around there, because it's, it was... It was not even suburbia, it was something else. And then it transformed into something else. And I think the fact that you are there and you are engaging with a particular community. In fact, there is a restaurant right across the street from you, which I think is probably your favorite. I'm, yes, yes. <laughs> I went there for a drink when I came visit uh, to visit the space and I felt like I was in the real Miami not the Miami that we see, I don't know, in some trendy areas. That's where we have lunch. Anybody who comes to visit us, that's where we actually go and have our dinners. It's Los Gallegos. It's a Spanish restaurant. And it's doesn't matter what time of day it is. If it's noon, it feels like 8 o'clock at night. It's always kind of dark and it's dim. Um, but to your point, Bird Road was one of the earliest business districts. Like, this is a working class community. This has... You know, there's a, a very long history here in Miami. And so, yeah, I do encourage you. We have the best food corridor actually down there. Like there's a lot of restaurants and I think it's a place that people haven't yet um, taken full advantage of. I, I agree. Uh, I have to say that restaurant was incredible. <laughs> it was almost like they've been around for like 30, 40 years, something like that. Probably. Maybe longer, 40 years. Yeah. And just to sit at the bar was like, it was another time, another, it was just, it was just uh, the way Miami felt uh, 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, Gabriel, uh, I'm sorry that we engage, I mean, we're both from Miami. We're both from, we're both from the city, so we got really excited about it. Uh -huh. But I'm very curious about also not a typical location where you decided to open. So tell us a little bit about why and the location that you picked for your space. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, for me, it was really sort of organic. Uh, it's not, it wasn't a decision that was very much premeditated, even though it feels like it. Um, I was born in the Congo, raised in Israel, and I came to New York to study at Bard. I received a full scholarship to go there and study art. And I found it hard to sort of uh, tolerate the winters in New York, and I would always escape to Miami um, for a little bit of warmth. And it kind of really reminds me of Tel Aviv and Israel and whatnot. And then during COVID, I just could not stand the idea of being locked in my New York apartment. Uh, for an unforeseeable amount of time. So I was the crazy guy who got on the plane in March 2020 and came to Miami uh, to quarantine. And then I started fantasizing about living here, you know, the quality of life, the sun, um, you know, there's a lot of nature around you. And I kind of started to discover the potential, you know, like the the art ecosystem in Miami. Um, I didn't know much about it at the time. Uh, but it seemed to me that, you know, it was really the only place in America where you could uh, conduct business, have a physical space that was open um, and have people come visit you as long as they were wearing masks and, you know, as long as they were testing negative for, uh, for COVID. And I went back with this idea to New York and people thought I was kind of out of my mind. But luckily, Craig Robbins reached out and offered us a space in the design district to, to give it a shot. And we did it. We were supposed to do it for a month, and I was sent here. Uh, but I was working for Mitchell and Nash back then, which is a different gallery. Um, and what was supposed to be a month ended up being four months because we were doing so well. And during that experience, I really sort of realized, because I think the art system is kind of like hard to penetrate in Miami. Like, yes, you know, you have the institutions, uh, ICA, parades, and whatnot, you know, but the collectors, the artists, they're like kind of different than New York. They're not very much in your face. You know, it's almost hidden. Mm-hmm. And luckily, we were one of the few galleries that were open in Miami, so they all trickled to us, and I got to meet so many of them. Um, and they all kept expressing this need to have uh, a gallery that was showing younger artists doing something a little bit more different, kind of bringing the world to Miami in a way. Um, and intuitively, I already had a lot of my friends in New York who are young artists that uh, were not really giving the kind of opportunities that they deserve in New York, but they could do shows in Miami or other cities where there wasn't so much competition. Um, so we were produced the uh, pop-up in the design district again last winter, and while I was here, I kind of discovered Normandy Isle and discovered Central Fine. Um, and it just kind of clicked, you know, I went to visit Central Fine, the space next door was uh, available, I kind of looked out Normandy, because not a very typical or busy section of the beach, Uh, but I sort of was really touched by the story of Normandy, that, you know, it's this island that was pretty much started by a Jewish man who was escaping anti-Semitism from the south, Um, and, you know, the, the sort of, like, operation cost of being in Miami was a fraction of what it would be in New York, um, so it just kind of clicked. I went to my old boss, the owner of Mitchell and Nash. I asked her about this. She was kind of speechless, kind of thinking that's a great idea, and I went for it. And that's no, that's interesting because talking about uh, South Miami and Normandy, um, they have parallel histories. Yeah. Normandy uh, was meant to emulate France right. originally. Right. I mean, the, it was called Little France. Uh, for many years, 
And you find like really important architecture, um, residential uh, in terms of uh, buildings. There are some incredible architects that actually lived and worked in Miami in the 40s and the 50s. So there are a lot of, I mean, this is an area to really explore, but also uh, it became a little Argentina. So uh -huh. it became a very ethnic uh, right. neighborhood. And I think that's how perhaps uh, a, your neighbor, which is, um, is is uh, um, central fine central fine yeah um diego diego singh uh started to um to come to that area uh -huh. because he was um he was connected to his own community he's argentinian and i remember he years ago diego mm -hmm. recommended a particular restaurant and then we'll go back to food because so really? i think that's one of the things about miami that um i don't think it's going into the new restaurants are not what the old restaurants used to be but there is this place that is called uh pasta um it's very famous eh? prima pasta prima All pasta right. So Argentina, that defines actually, right? that community. That is uh, an incredible place. It's like, uh, in fact, my friends from Ukraine that are all the way, Boloshin Gallery, all the way in the back, they love that place. But anyway, uh, the reason why I'm mentioning that is that I, I, I got to know that place through Diego. Diego introduced me to that restaurant. So yeah. how do you find that neighborhood and and... It's layer. That was exactly part of the attraction, you know, the sort of diversity, but it's a specific type of diversity. You know, like New York is very diverse, you know, but I think it's very segregated. You want to go to an ethnic restaurant. I don't know. Uh, it's very hard to find that on an island. You have, can have to go to Queens or Harlem or whatever. Uh, what I thought was very interesting about Miami and specifically Normandy, you can work around you know, there's a Venezuelan restaurant and then an Argentinian one and then a Cuban one owned by foreigners. And uh, the demographics, the people who live there, Brazilian immigrants, uh, you know, it was just very charming. Um, and the appeal of it is I went to school with kids from 48 different countries and I was always kind of used to being around people who are very different than me or like very distant cultures. And I felt in New York, I didn't really have that, but kind of in Normandy Isle, it was intuitive. So that was another part of the attraction for sure. So that's yeah. interesting because here are two different perspectives in when it comes to Miami, Natalia, you are Miami and you become Miami at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, but what we love here is, and this is to you, Natalia, how do you see the art community um, shifting in Miami if there's a shift at all or do you because we we've been even though I, I I've been in New York since 1994 when I graduated from from school um, in the last seven years I've been putting more time in Miami and I'm like a lot of the time in this city but maybe Natalia you can talk a little bit about a shift in the city if there is a shift at all it that's such a difficult question because I feel for those of you who are from here, you know that Miami is constantly reinventing itself, right? It always kind of wants to think of itself as like a new Miami. 
And like this actually, I, it comes to mind a lot in the exhibitions that we do when we look back to the artists that have been living here for like the past 30, 40, 50 years. And you think about like every time it's like a new Miami art scene. So I do think that there are certain, let's say, geological shifts in our gallery ecology, for example, like in in the kind of support systems our institutions are getting bigger, our galleries are lasting longer, right? And I think that those things are a bit more evident now than they have been, um, but it's not new. I feel like this has been an effort that has been in the works for a really long time. And so I, it's a question that's kind of hard because when you're in it, it's hard to see those changes. I think it's only evident when you start looking at what has happened over the last 20, 30 years that you realize you're like, oh, actually, things feel like they're sticking now in a particular way. But um, but Miami has this really fantastic effect of every couple of years going, whoosh, wiping things right out. And then all of us having to sort of reinvent, not the wheel, but like, reinvent our position within that that thing and it has to do with real estate it has to do with how the city grows it has to do with the economy and it has to do with how responsive this community has to be to those factors so i'm not sure where or where we are I, I just want you know i think it's just part of the characteristics like i was talking to somebody like new york it, it's difficult right because when new york see these sees these geological changes they're so like they're so difficult, but Miami, these things change all the time, right? So well, it's faster. Yeah. No, and, and perhaps you're too young to remember yeah. the, the I really house. That. You're very young <laughs> to remember the house, but there was oh, a no, project. Was, no, that was my yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, that that was a time in Miami where where we started to see something truly different. And maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit about it and that particular time. That was when MOCA became like a, it went from being a museum that was in a fire station, a tiny little house, to building that space that is on 125th. There was no ICA then. There was no uh, PAM. It, it was the Miami Art Museum. And then we see these kids taking over this house of uh, Biscayne Boulevard and doing this project. So maybe you could, if you remember a little bit of, of that time, maybe, because I think Gabriel would be fascinated. Fascin you would be extremely happy to find out a little bit about our, our history sure. in terms of alternative spaces. If I remember correctly, that was 98 or so. I mean, that was around that time. For me, that, that project or the house project was really, again, coming at a moment of a few years of silence of what had happened around these scenes. But, like, I don't know that I can speak. I don't know that I, we have the time to speak to sort of the history of that. But it's much more what you're indicating, right? That, like, MOCA at that time was at a very kind of particular place. And we look at that now, it's been... 20 something years later yeah. Yeah. and it's an established organization it has actually broken off into another organization and that you start seeing that these things actually have long history so for people who arrive and they think like oh Miami's a new art scene no. actually like it has so many layers of history and so many different versions of itself that have like evolved um so the house is actually, you know, one version of, but if you look at like the 90s crew of artists that were in Española Way, there was a group of sort of studios that were supported also by, um, by DACRA, by Craig Robbins. But like there were different moments 
in the past, you know. No, I remember. Years, I yeah. mean, South Beach uh, is not the South Beach that you know now. It was a very uh, creative uh, place because um, in the 80s, South Beach was dying. It was absolutely in a in a in a moment of of, of change. And a lot of creative people from New York came down here and locals as well, not only New Yorkers, but there was incredible energy happening. Uh, Española Way, they had studios there. Artists were open up their studios. There were um, a lot of things going on. Uh, I do remember, yeah. And, um, and I wasn't living here at the time, but I would come visit my parents and I was like, Wow, this is this is incredible. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, just to add to that, I, like a change that I noticed, for instance, I used to come here just to visit before I would come here to work. And before COVID, I have to say it was kind of like difficult to convince any New Yorker to take Miami seriously because they would look down on it from the point of view that there isn't much culture or education here. But there is kind of you have to work to find it. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of people kind of realized during COVID and people started to move here from New York. I mean, what I noticed during COVID when I was doing a pop-up here for the first time, it was funny that I would walk around the design district and run into friends from New York that I haven't seen in a while or friends from LA that are considering moving to Miami. And, you know, the cost of living in New York and the quality of life is not so great at the moment, but Miami offers solutions to that. So I think it's growing in the sense that People are moving from outside of Miami and bringing their culture with them, and that's changing things. In Miami. No, that, that's that's interesting because um, I think is is change. I think in some ways for the good. In other ways, I have to say communities are probably displaced. Uh, I'm concerned about neighborhoods like you know Little Haiti, Overtown. You know these these are parts of the city that their history is the city. Overtown is the hearts of Miami. And I'm worried, I'm worried also, Natalia, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I think we all worry because that's- Does anybody else yeah. feel like Omar is throwing the really hard questions? At that's Natalia? a hard question, <laughs> but I feel that these are things we need to be aware of. No, and I agree. Yeah. I I'm always worried, you know, going back to the house just for a second, just yeah. because it, it's a bridge to build sure. on this and to, uh, about these sort of artist run projects. You know, I feel like a lot of the projects that we're talking about in that sense are a lot of these groups that have like a little chip on their shoulder about not being seen. You know, like actually, to be honest, like I would think the New Yorkers moved here because of the real estate prices. Right. And not because they realized that there was necessarily culture here or something. And so Miami has always had this chip on its shoulder of like, like what? Like there is something here. And so to your point, like, yeah, I worry because actually these are communities that have yeah. been here. Like, you know, we're in a community where we've lived for a very long time. I grew up in Miami Beach down the street from where Central Fine is actually also. Wow, wow. So I know all of these places and it's interesting. You're right to see how like it changes with the influx of people and you can't change that. That's just part of how, things change but there has to be something to be said about how we we like support not just preserve but we support the growth in these other communities and so yeah 
to see the reason yeah, why. I, yeah. I have to point to, to uh, certain organizations that are doing a good job here, local uh, nonprofits that are actually um, playing a, a big role that is not all about displacement. So hopefully um, the real estate is going up, uh, rents are going up in, in terms of, uh, or, or in comparison to New York, Gabriel, probably less, but is changing quickly or it's been changing in the last, there might be a, a stabilization of, of, of that because it happened before, as you know, Natalia. But um, so, so how do you feel? Do you think Miami is becoming more international? I mean, Gabriel, you're here. You're from Israel. You're from Congo. <laughs> I don't know. You're not the only example right. of that. I'm, I'm sure the in this room, we have a lot of people have moved recently to Miami from many places. Do you see it as, as becoming a much more From my observation, I would start Miami as being a lot more international than any other city that I visited in America. Um, and there's only more and more people from other cultures and other countries are moving here. And that's, again, like I was saying, part of what I found very appealing in Normandy. But that's also true of all of Miami, that you can drive 15 minutes away from Normandy and like go to a Haitian restaurant or go to a Haitian barbershop, you know? Um, and then, you know, you can go, I don't know, Winwood, and you have Ocean Gallery there. You know, it's just something that you don't find elsewhere. I mean, it's, you know, like you go to New York, it's kind of segregated. Like it's very hard to find foreigners running businesses in Manhattan. You have to like go outside. You know, same thing for kind of LA, you know, it's like super, not only it's hard for you if you're not from America to open a business there, but also like the culture does not make it easy. You know what I mean? In Miami, it's as if people want you to not be from America in a way. It's like hard to be exotic here. And I find a lot of beauty in it. That's part of the reason why I love Miami so much. Um, I was just thinking about, you know, our Basel week or uh, our week. I, I don't want to call it our Basel week. I want to call it Miami Art Week, which is the end of uh, November this year and early uh, December. Um, and uh, I remember uh, in 2001 when the Twin Towers collapsed, um, Miami was ready for the big party and everything got canceled, Basel pulled out. But there were people uh, that took initiative because the local community said, no, we're going to go ahead with what we planned during that week. And it was a very sad moment, but also a very special moment because it showed uh, a side of Miami that most people don't see as a, a strong city and trying to find ways to put the best possible face in, in a time of... Uh, of, of sadness and and I remember there was a small fair happening in um, in a hotel on Ocean Drive. It was called Fast Forward Miami, and they invited curators, including Franklin Sermons, who is now the director of the PAM, myself, and others that we took over the rooms of the hotel. And it was it was extremely extremely special 
So I know the art fairs have really shifted. I, I Jeff Lawson, who is the founder and director of Ontario, who's sitting in the room when he approached me in New York to to be part of his um, concept and idea. I felt like, yes, you know, there's got to be more. There's got to be room for everyone. There's got to be spaces because it's not just our puzzle. Our puzzle is establish our fair, but we also need to open up a space for new voices, for, you know, is we need to, as long as we keep a, a, a standard that we care about the art and we try our best to, to be inclusive, which is what we do as an art fair, and I'm not, a, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not uh, here sort of kind of publicizing on title, but when I talk about on title, I talk, talk about all the projects. And uh, how do you feel of, um, and, and one of the things that we have had a lot of conversations is that as on title, and my colleague Clara, who made the introduction, we, we want to now have a year-long presence in Miami. We want to collaborate with Miami. We want to embrace Miami, and we're doing that this year. So how do you feel about the phenomenon of the art fair, Natalia, as a native? In some ways, it's one week, and what happens? The people leave, do they wait another year to come back and do their business, or do you see that they have some kind of presence throughout the year or not? How do you feel about it? About the fairs in general? Yeah, in general. I mean, I, I, I actually kind of, I think that the market is a, is a normal part of the art ecology. I mean, I think anytime we try to sort of separate the market from the like institutional side, we sort of forget that they're kind of tied together in many ways. So for it to have a year-long presence here as something that doesn't just pop in or pop out, I feel like, you know, sort of contributes that market side of things. I don't necessarily have an opinion as to like what that looks like, because I was just going to ask you, what does that look like? For the fair to be here all year long um and what is like what do those interactions with the community mean actually oh uh, what i mean is that for example it's not just to come mm -hmm. and set up uh, a space to do business but to also try to embrace and understand yeah. what we've been talking about until now in this conversation which is the city of miami is history, how to offer opportunities to local curators, artists, um, spaces in the city that we could potentially dialogue with to bring more attention to Miami history. And I'm talking about Miami history, no art history, no uh, contemporary art in right. general. Well, actually, I think that it, that's interesting in the sense is I, I don't know the history of the sort of fairs relationship with the city at that level. But I wonder whether, you know, sometimes we talk about like, oh, what would kickstart that support system for artists, right? Like we have some like steadfast galleries here. We have some grant opportunities. But like what, you know, we were talking earlier about like, what does it look like to have more studio spaces, you know, or like what are the things that are missing? And I wonder if having something like that, like at least sort of like, uh, maybe like kickstarts the conversation around having a different kind of presence that supports these histories, that supports these ideas, yeah. like another 
aspect that people are maybe having wondering, like, what else are we missing? I'd be curious to see what that looks like. Well, and, and there is a lot of support in Miami. Uh, Ulai, for example, um, the, um, in the process of building uh, an incredible building. Um, my friend who's on the board is sitting somewhere back there. Um, and, uh, and I think they do uh, support a great deal of projects, artists, uh, just, just to mention one, there are many other, uh, I see it on the selection committee, Gabriel, if you have artists that uh, should be applying for public art, uh, Miami, because the city is growing so fast, there is a lot of building going on, that there are a lot of opportunities for artists to, uh, to do projects, uh, public art projects. Uh, so how, how do you see, I mean, do you see a lot of construction? Do you see a city that is changing very quickly? How do you compare it to other places that you've been to? Uh, it's like we're discussing earlier. I just feel like, um, you know, you look at a place like New York, it's just deeply entrenched in history. You know, you've always had artists there. So, um, you know, eventually, and sort of like, in a normal way, like, you know, the city sort of groomed itself to allow artists to come in. You have all the, you know, you go to Bushwick, it's easy to find these huge facilities that used to be factories and that eventually were converted into um, artist studios and whatnot. I just feel like the real estate market right now in Miami is mainly sort of focused on hospitality and living and not really other industries, specifically art, you know, but again, like you said, there is Ulite uh, and all these other uh, organizations that are trying to do things a little bit differently. I just think that there needs to be uh, a better understanding from the developer side that there is also artists who are seeking to move here. You know, there's artists who are calling me every day, asking me to find studios and it's kind of challenging to find studio in it's, Miami. It's uh, extremely difficult yeah. right now, Natalia, to find a uh, workspace. Yeah. Is is all is is almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, the spaces are <laughs> yeah. there, but they're not yeah. designed or equipped to be used as studios. So you kind of have uh, to be. For those of you that are new to Miami, and Natalia can tell you, uh, fifteen years ago, even ten years ago, they will be offering spaces to artists like for free. Please take these spaces, do something. Uh, that's not happening right now. So. That creates a crisis, and that was going to be one of my questions, which um, um, <laughs> which is basically, are artists moving to Miami? I, I, I had this question for later on, but, but do we a... see, because a lot of people are moving here, uh, I see a lot of uh, invest, investment, uh, investors or, or money people or tech industry or whatever, but in order to make the city uh, much more um, appealing in general, we need to see the artists. We need to see artists moving here. I remember when I was in New York, the artists were moving to LA and LA became really dynamic like 15 years ago. And uh, is that happening in Miami? Are artists moving to Miami? There seems to be a demand, but, you know, there are a lot of challenges. You know, you want to move to L.A., chances are you can find a studio before you move to L.A. Uh, you, you you want to move to Miami, it's kind of, like, really difficult to find a studio, even if you live here. Um, 
but there is this sense that the city is really focused on promoting art. I'm starting to see that um, there are more and more, you know, sort of public installations, like you said. I mean, I forget the name of the guy who has the garage of Herzog de Meuron designed on Alton Road. Uh, I actually yeah. work for the foundation. There you it's, go. It's called uh, Yes Contemporary. It's yeah. Marion Rover. Uh -huh. They developed the 1111 building that is on Lincoln Road. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they were doing such specific projects in the garage. And there, I think there's the Jonathan Chaplin across the street that they commissioned. And I also noticed, you know, I was talking to the mayor of Coral Gables and they have this initiative, any new um, development uh, has to allocate, I think, 10% of the expense of the project towards having public art on premises, which I think is terrific. Yeah, um, uh, I think it's terrific, but the, I'm very familiar with Cora Gables and you too. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say anything negative. I think any, anything that opens up a space for art is great, but um, we also need to think about um, the way the city is structured that unfortunately, sometimes the people that are making decisions and I'm not going to point fingers and not making their best decisions or the right decisions because it is also a very close kind of situation and you can talk about that uh, Natalia is I find it myself I, I find myself to be a, a participant but also an outsider because I was away for too long maybe because I have other standards because I look at art differently and it, I, I really to people like you and to with Jean, and of course we come from a similar sort of uh, history in terms of New York, but yeah, it is a tough community <laughs> of the art structure. Maybe you can tell us a little bit how that works here. But about which part? About like Coral Gables? It's I don't different know. decisions because I yeah. see a lot of, uh, and I don't want to offend anyone and I'm not going to say anything but the art that i see uh, is this um but anyway i see i see art in, in sometimes that i is my hello um i'm actually uh, this can you hear me yeah anyway so the thing is that Sometimes you go around, Gabriel, and you look around and you sit, you look at it and you say, I can't believe the resources sometimes are going to a certain type of project that is not necessarily a community-based or is not necessarily in conversation with uh, contemporary discourse that uh, artists are in need of. Mm -hmm. uh, it tends sometimes to be a, a not necessarily what we focus on. How can we change that? If, if at all, maybe it's impossible. Yeah, I think that's a question about who the stakeholders are and who the decision makers are and like how these things are organized, right? And you're right. I mean, the thing is that in particular with public art, there, you know, you have the broader sort of Miami-Dade public art programs and you have like the municipal ones, but you have people, you know, with different interests who sit on these boards. And I think right now we're also in a particular time that like it's very sensitive. Things are already highly censored, right? And so those 
those processes are more and more challenging, right? And I think the question is, how do you fix them? You change who's on the decision board. <laughs> you know, you you start like really caring about who sits on those on those boards because I, a lot of them are elected. Yeah, I think um, because of the. Uh, I'm involved with uh, Miami-Dade Art in Public Places. I think it's a very transparent uh, process. Um, and it's all our professionals that yeah, decide. Exactly. But that's Miami-Dade Art in Public Places, which is uh, Amanda Sanfilippo, who runs that program. And I think they do a fantastic job. But I'm, that's the city of Miami. Then you have other cities, which I don't know, how that operates. But just to that point, I feel like, you know, the broader county sort of builds that program and it and it professionalizes it, right? It puts like a person who actually has a history and caring about art and then that person invites people. And so I think, yeah, I think it goes back to like who those decision makers are. You know, there are, you know, Core Gables has a lot of money, has a lot of tax base. And so I think the, let's say the interest in contemporary art in the past 20 years also has inspired different communities to think about their own art programs. It's about whether or not those art programs start actually reflecting the needs, right? But I think that that is, that is going to change. Yeah. yeah, and that was going to be my next question uh, to you. Um, close, like here, like is, really high. Is Miami becoming something else? And is Miami, um, I mean, how do you feel as an outsider? You are not an outsider anymore, by the way. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> You are part of this community. So uh, do you feel that it's becoming a major uh, art center? I, 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 For me, a major art center has to embrace the artist. And we did say that it's difficult for artists to move here. Developers should think about subsidizing space for artists because that's going to pay off long term. And the city will become, you know, amazing because the artists will come here from everywhere. So perhaps that's a solution. I don't know. But do you see that happening? I'm going to ask Gabriel to and yeah. I, I, yeah, I want to add after. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, this is something that I wanted to mention earlier, actually, uh, when we're talking about artist studios and stuff. I feel like there are areas in Miami that have a lot of potential to become art hubs not only by having galleries there, but also by having artists who live and work and, you know, contribute. Like, you know, we were, you were mentioning something about food and that being part, like, you know, I feel like if you just kind of approach this from an urban design perspective, then there's definitely solutions to be implemented. I just feel like, you know, when a developer buys a whole lot right now in Little River, is not really prioritizing artists. They're really thinking about a different type of clientele. And that's kind of the issue. And to go back to what you were saying earlier, I guess it was really a matter of taste that you were mentioning, you know, that a developer would like choose to allocate that the funds that they have towards public art, towards, I don't know, acquiring a ape, because that's what he thinks is stimulating to him. But I think what I started noticing, you know, when more and more fairs are happening and when these pop-ups are happening and, you know, Gallery Lalong comes here and they show their sculptures, and then, you know, the developers are exposed to that. Then they start to learn about other sort of like facets and aspects of the art world and they start to embrace it. So I think like with anything else in history, it's just a matter of time and education, you know, and exposing 
no ideas. Natalia? You know, I think the question always, like we when we ask this question here in Miami, I always ask it back. It's like, well, what does an international art hub look like? Like for me, it's still a question. But like, we always kind of come back to like, oh, what do artists need? Yes, artists do need. But like, where do artists exhibit? Like who supports artists? Who publishes their work? You know, and I think like who actually sort of gets into dialogue about like the history of artistic practices. And so I think it's also about building an ecology that supports like small, small art spaces, you know, like independent projects that are trying to do things differently and that like supports it like sustainably. And so I think like we, you know, is it becoming an art hub? It always has been. It always yeah. has been an international art hub, but it's about like how this ecosystem sort of is sustainable, I think, because I, you know, we talk about this a lot at name. We're like, oh, we've been doing this for 13 years. This is the first time we've actually been able to get a brick and mortar space. We don't know how long it'll last. Um, I, I hope it lasts for a too. long time. Me too. Yeah. Me too. But then when you start asking, it's like, actually, how does our project project here locally? We are, we can project internationally. We've done projects with people, you know, with organizations all over the world. But how does our project project here locally, right? And so, like, how does that support system continue? And so I think the question, I think, comes back to these, you know, sort of funding bases and things like that. It's like, how do we support the larger ecosystem? Um, because artists need more than just space, yeah. too, right? Like, the community needs more than that, too, I think. Which, yeah. And to go back to Normandy, I feel like I can see Normandy growing into that because it's very raw in the sense that people, I think, have neglected it because there, is a, there aren't that many sort of uh, attractions, I would say, you know, so developers are choosing to like really build elsewhere, but I can see how, you know, name publication can move to Normandy, you know, you could have sort of like artist studios around there. Or Jupiter, or Jupiter moved to South, South, South Miami, yeah. <laughs> one of these. <laughs> that would be amazing. I think it also depends, I guess, on yeah. where you are placed yeah. on the island. Um, so this is, this is important. I, I would like to see more developers thinking about uh, live work space. Which I don't see. I see a lot of apartment buildings being built, but they're not integrating the leaf work kind of situation. And uh, the city should give them a tax break for them to give X amount of uh, those leaf work spaces to artists, and it could go through a process so artists can actually stay or will have a space to work and live and not leave Miami. Because I heard a lot of artists are thinking about moving out of Miami, sadly, because it's becoming too expensive. So I wanna thank you both. I wanna open thank it you. up thank for you. questions. What is it? <laughs> On that note, but anyway, maybe I thought so One much, way to end it. It's the way, it's the way it is. If you have questions, and I hope you do, um, come up to the microphone over here and ask questions. Thank you. Is this working? We can yeah. do that. So who has a question? Yeah, like you guys have spoken at length about the evolution of Miami's art scene, um, how it's changing, how it's shifting. Um, 
how would you characterize the uh, the reputation of of a Miami artist per se? Where you know, for myself, I've been here for about ten years, and there's been this characterization that somebody's like, oh, they're a Miami artist. Like they're maybe not up to par with like a New York artist or LA artist or a Parisian artist. Um, and then, this, so how would you characterize like? the Miami artist now who's trying to set roots here, but also creating or trying to create their name on a global scale. I, I, I'm not trying to say you, Gabriel, but I'm actually really curious because you came here and I want to, you know, I think this is a really good question for someone who may have had that perception. I'm, yeah. Sure, I was actually just chatting about this earlier. Um, I think there is a lot of negative stigma tied to Miami in general, and therefore, I guess, is applied to artists who come from Miami, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily the truth or the fact about Miami artists. I've discovered a lot of really interesting artists who have, you know, born and raised in Miami, and I'm noticing that some of the schools here kind of have really good programs and really good teachers, like FIU and a few more. Um, I just think that the problem is that like Natalia was saying, there isn't like a support system in Miami. Like, you know, I find not every Miami gallery is always showing Miami artists. And I feel like Miami collectors normally tend to not take Miami artists seriously, even though they're good. I just think that, that there is this bias in the way that people think about art, you know, like they would rather go to a gallery in New York before they sort of give a chance to an artist who lives here. So I think it's, again, a matter of just changing the way people think about things. I think that that is true. And I think that that was something for a very long time that artists had to really contend with, that many people had to leave the city in order to come back. I mean, there would be stories about how like museums would acquire work at a fair in Bogota, right? Of an artist that they were within the same community and that, yeah, that did happen. But I was just pointing out, you know, you know I feel like that Mr. George project, I feel like has been supporting Miami artists and I feel like that has changed also so like again going to like these things take time right and I think it I think it also takes time to like realize that galleries also need that support right that it is a sort of thing about like educating collectors and the whole ecosystem about the value of our community here that it doesn't just come from an imported thing and I, I actually think that that is kind of changing like I I do also agree. I feel like for a long time, collectors for sure would be like, well, but I feel like that has started. It's definitely changing. And like, you know, our neighbors, Central Fine, I think have championed that, you know, they get opportunities a lot to Miami gallery. And there's. Let me jump in. I think to your point, that's good. Like, it's good. It it needs to take time. It doesn't need to happen overnight. That that doesn't work. You want that established. Sorry. You want that establishment to happen over time. I it, agree. That's with you. the yeah. importance of this. It needs to be an evolution. It takes five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, and then all of a sudden you can have a community here, and there can be, you know, an understanding and respect for for what's going on. If it happens like this, it's not good. You don't yeah. want. That. Well, Emerson Dosh, you've been twenty years now, twenty five. No way. Seriously? Oh, my God. 31 years showing Miami Oh, my God. Miami artists. I mean, that's a true example of uh, of a gallery committed to. And and I have to say, my friends Henry Sarp and Marielena Angulo that are sitting all the way in the corner, collectors that came from London, 
when they were in London, they were buying uh, artists from London. When they moved to Miami, now they are supporting and buying Miami artists. So, um, so not every collector is, they just acquire beautiful work by Jamila Sabur, um, gorgeous work that was in a museum a exhibition. So I think there are a sample of people that come to Miami and they want to support and, you know, uh, but there are other collectors that they just don't do it. Unfortunately, but but it does take time, and it, and I and I agree that it should be something you know you you have to have a commitment to your program to to show that you are committed to these artists for over time, yeah. and then and see them grow and see them you know develop, and that's what I think is very important. It's something yeah. that we've been championing. Yeah, exactly. Miami's always been punching up better term and that's not a bad thing like it's it, it is a city of immigrants right like it, the, the the power structure changes all the time and that's what makes it such a unique place like it, there's just it's there's new people coming in all the time so it doesn't have to your point the structure of like new york where it's like this is the establishment miami's not like that it's different all the time it's constantly evolving which makes it so dynamic and so interesting but also you don't have the structure of like A, B, and C add up. No, it doesn't work that way. And that's what makes this place so dynamic and interesting. It's why, you know, exactly. It's it's why, you know, we love producing a fair air and being a part of this community. It's, it's a really important thing. And, and the institutions that exist here to validate the, the, art, the local artists, like museums. I mean, ICA, how, how old is ICA? Like 10 years? Uh, not even. You know, you know compared yeah, to MoMA, is. Metropolitan is about 100 and 100 of years old. So... <laughs> I have to, and, 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 and museums are going through evolution. Right. To Omar's point, Pam used to be, you know, the exactly uh, Miami Art Pam. Museum. Like, yeah. there, there's it's it's it is it is a it's an evolving city. And, I, and evolving there are some curators, culture. institutional museum curators in Miami, like Emmy Garpa, Garpin, from uh, the museum at FIU, that is actually doing a great job in really embracing the history and the community and the art community in Miami. She recently did a show, a show that was so interesting about artists in Coco Negro that many people didn't know anything about. Um, so she's always, I mean, they're great people here, really. I was yes. going to say to that point, I do think that sort of a geologic sort of like slow building of things is really important. I actually think that when we think back, like these questions, like where is Miami? Is in Miami an international art hub? Like, you know, is these things, it's like, it kind of like points to this desire for Miami to like constantly be something right now. But like, it's been growing into that. The question for me is sort of the big butt to that is like, that is possible if you can like survive that right it's like so it goes back to like what are the sustaining structures for artists to be able to kind of endure those like long arcs of time that it requires like it requires a commitment to being in the city or coming back you know there are artists who leave and come back 10 years later you know that's so true it's like a really and, that, and i think that's a really commitment. good point like it's that's it's true. not again it's not i don't mean to say but it's not established yet. like it's, well, it's they're, constantly they're, evolving there are it's artists, new all the time. There are artists like Domingo who's sitting right here that is an amazing artist because it, more than an artist, is an incredible thinker. And uh, 
and you adore Miami, but you also had your moments where you left and then you came back. You were at Soma. So maybe I would love to hear a little bit from you, Domingo, because yeah, your practice is not the typical practice. It's not the object making practice that sells in an art fair. So we need to pay attention to that as well. What's the question? The question, <laughs> the question is that I know that you spent time in Mexico as, as Soma, as Soma, and you came back, and you you are a Miami and also Germany, right? Right. So, so we, because we're talking about it, perhaps you can add something to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, my art practice doesn't. Um, generate objects so it actually makes it much more difficult for things to move unless I don't move so I have to move in order to kind of share the things that I do with other people and that's that's kind of it so it's it's like a constant um moving to other cities spending time with friends seeing friends there I went to Germany to see my friend Jessica who's next to me who was living there at the time and we lived together in Dusseldorf um, Berlin, right? Jessica is the perfect example. You were in Berlin for in Germany for a long time, yeah. Cologne, Cologne, Cologne. Yeah. and then you came back. Yeah, just recently. Recently, yeah. Ten years, ten years in Germany. Between New York and Germany. I was going to say to your thing about artists leaving; they always come back. <laughs> the swamp always brings them back. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the butterfly. Right? We, have, that, we have this effect here. It's like the, that famous butterfly that goes away and yeah. then they come back. <laughs> yeah. So do we have any other questions? Sure. Yeah. Hello, I'm one of the relocators. Uh, eight years in Berlin, before that London, before that New York and Chicago. And modesty aside, just because I've experienced and as an art writer, I've written a lot about the art market in different cities, the international art market, the art ecosystem. So I guess I'm saying first is going to be a comment to hopefully think about. The second will be a question. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I was attracted to Miami precisely on the grounds that it felt that it was in a moment of taking off. I have family here. I spent all my childhood Christmases here. I have Cuban family in Hialeah and family in Cubiscane. I have two very different worlds. But, uh, and that, of course, was an important draw. But the other was that I felt that in the last 20 years, the Miami art scene has really evolved. And having lived in big art cities uh, over the years, I felt like I was interested in being part of Miami precisely because it felt like it was taking off, that it was a place where maybe I could have an influence and a role to be absolutely open about that. Um, but um, I find that as there's a lot of support in the city for artists, and actually I've written about this, that it's ended up in the Financial Times and their Brussels.com, and I see that there's just so much going in. But I am curious about something that is I find missing here, and it's because it's my role as an art writer, really sort of the role of the art critic in the city. And that's where my question is going to be. Because it's my sense in my writing and teaching about it's there's an art ecosystem and the critics should also have a role 
you know, the curator has an affirmative relationship to an artist's work. The dealer has an affirmative relationship to an artist's work. The collector has an affirmative relationship, but who has that critical role and where is the space for that critical role that pushes the artist? And forever, whatever you might think of him, Fred Snitzer sort of really pointed out that something that's missing in the city, he pointed out to me in an interview that, you know, there's, there's a lack of that education. You know, it's not the barred intellectuals or the school of Chicago intellectuals that are in the city and that people want to also see the artists being pushed in some way or the other. And so I would ask you sort of, is there room for our criticism in the city? What do you think could be that role? What critical role could be played by writers in the city as well? What spaces could be made for them? Um, and not just as a narcissistic question as, a, as an art writer, but because uh, where do you see that role? What could be developed? What gap can someone like me fill, but also people who are dealers, collectors, et cetera, artists, uh, relationship that they can develop to that has a critical role to art, not just to negate it and be negative about it critical, I mean, that also can push it in certain directions. So to that, that's what I mean about a sustainable, like uh, an ecology, that that is absolutely missing in this community. And it has been, I mean, I feel like those of us who have been here for a long time, sort of circling around these questions about like, yeah, uh, yeah. Our, our criticism fell off a cliff, you know, almost 10 years ago because there's no money in publishing now. Well, that's uh, why. And so oh. that, so it just, and I'm sorry, do answer that, but like, yeah. you know, that's the hardest part. I mean, and, and, and this is not a shameless plug at all, but Untitled, we're having a, a writer in residence, which we started in 2019, which we're bringing back now to work with writers yeah, uh, so they can focus on. Lori and I have been talking about it. Because yeah, so, it's so, a very important thing to but do. So, yeah. so, that, yeah. that, so that writers can actually write critically about art because it's critically important. It is. I mean, it is, it, without you being critical about what's happening, what is showing at galleries, what artists are doing, having real criticism, real critiques about it, it defeats the purpose of what we're all doing. It all becomes sort of like self, like randomization, right? Like we're all just like, hey, we're all awesome. Patting each other on the back. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. But unfortunately, because publications can't pay writers anymore, writers can't write. And that's a real problem. Sorry. I'm only like making this face because it's sort of something that we deal with. But again, this is, I'm actually usually a really grumpy person, but I want to strike a very optimistic tone with this is that that is also kind of changing in the past few years too. Yeah. We are in critical need of this. And part of somebody who is very interested in arts writing in general and like critical point of views. And in this idea, because for a very long time, the idea of a critic here was that, oh, no, no, over-intellectual, over-academic, all they're going to do is, like, talk bad, be sad, blah, blah, like, there's this constant desire that everything from here has to be happy, right, and it doesn't have to be, and so, yeah, I think that there is absolutely room, but where do they publish? Who supports them? The same perspective about Miami artists from the outside exists about Miami writers, you know, like, where do, what are the publications and the places in which these ideas sort of get exposed? You know, we do have our arts writers. Monica Zerkowitz has been doing a fantastic job of actually trying to bring exposure to our community here in art form. And, the, you know, the big bit to your point, yeah, like, where do, where do these voices go? Where is the state of criticism? I actually think that there's room to sort of build publications here, to sort of return to these things here. But I hate to say it, it kind of boils down to the money. 
Yeah, how do you monetize it? Yeah. Oh, where's... No, it's difficult. But no, I have Ari, to say I, that, say that the, the whole thing with social media. Can I just say something quickly? It's sort of so, shifted. Um, this yeah, whole thing ahead. about our criticism is something that at Oolite we are focusing on because we realize it's sort of missing. So, um, so we've been um, considering different things. And right now, what we started with, which um, obviously will may change and it was just a one year thing uh we'll probably do it for another year is we collaborate with burnaway so we have uh an editor uh part-time editor that is an olight uh editor and that person receives um articles and critics criticism from Miami-based writers. So basically, there it's not the solution, and it's not a program. It's not the perfect program, but it's the beginning, and it's something that other, for example, I know Dimension Variables. They got an Ellis Award to to also do some uh, criticism work, art criticism. So. Uh, people are doing things. It's just it's it's beginning and and it's hard because there's not like a, a school in Miami where you can go and and learn like curatorial studies or critical writing. So so I mean it's it's. They did try to have a program FIU, but it didn't go anywhere. It was just very short-lived. You should bring Bart to Miami. But I have to add, uh, my opinion is there is definitely room for art conversation, art writing. I personally have an issue with art criticism. I don't think the traditional position that art critics had in the art world, I think, is very problematic. That you can make or break an artist's career with one article is definitely wrong. Or the fact that, like, it took the night so long to accept Edward Munch as a sort of legitimate artist because not, not enough critics wrote about him or approved of him. Or something for Basquiat, you know, was not trained in a traditional classical way through a university, was not seen as a legitimate artist. Um, so I definitely think there is an issue there, but, you know, art writing, you know, talking about art like we're doing right now is a different story. I, I, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Like the idea of like the Clement Greenberg. Absolutely. I was going to say Clement yeah, Greenberg. Like exactly. Who made or broke artists. Yeah. And so yeah. many times it was very personal, a, you know, based on a construct exactly. like, no, that's utter bullshit. Yeah. But to have, a, 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 you know, people who can critically look at art and, and, and critically be critical about it. I think is important and, and, and we don't what? have writers now that can do that because unfortunately nobody pays them to do it. And what? it's super Absolutely. unfortunate. I mean, I even remember when we started untitled, like they wrote critically about us. This was a decade ago. And it was like, you know, they sometimes in Omar, I can tell you like it was painful. So they're like, they didn't like certain things that we did, but that's great because that's also, it's terrific feedback. You learn from it. And so to, to your question, Back there, you know, it, critical writing is is so important for industry, and it and it's non-existent right now. But but also, sorry to your point, yeah, absolutely. Like some, you know, heavy-handed, you know, gavel on the 
table saying this is the way it's going to be is, is yeah. utter. When I moved to New York, uh, as an artist, uh, it was pretty much Roberta Smith. If she wrote favorably about your show, you did really well. If she didn't write favorably about your show, you disappeared. Some of those artists have actually resurfaced in a big way. So I know exactly what, what you're talking about. And I mean, about. let's not forget, you know, in the age that we live in, there is Instagram. And I think Instagram gave collectors the power the critics had. Like, you know, if you're an influential collector, you know, you buy a pen and you post about it. Exactly. You know, Robert Navas' career was created that way and so many other artists. But so what does that do? I'm mean, sorry, I'm just going to put one mini point and we're going to close this. But what does that do to the idea of like visual literacy to like to the like, a broader public? Because I agree. My question was like, yeah, actually what happens today is based on likes, right? But like, I, I agree. That kind of criticism that we're talking about doesn't make sense. But actually, I, I really enjoy like the kind of like art writing that teaches me something about what, how, like what I'm seeing and how I'm seeing. I mean, the, and so like what happens, like how, like, how do we think about like what we consume visually? Like if we're, if it's not an answer to be here. I agree. Changing my narrative slightly based on what you said right. with, with what's happening on Instagram and everything else. And I'm also sorry because sort of critical journalistic approach to things to what you're saying also is that is that's even more real time now criticism of what's going on, good, bad, negative, positive, whatever. Um, that's really interesting. I mean, that, that's, I didn't think about it like that. To me, to answer your question, okay. I think- Lori, Lori, come. Go ahead, game. To, to answer the question about visual literacy, the way I see it is, you know, you have somebody like Claremont Greenberg who tells you Jasper Jones is the best painter, but I think, you know, exactly, and for the rest of history. But, you know, what do we think here? You know, and what does a man that you see at a pool down there on the street think, well, it's good art, you know? I think it should be more democratic than one art critic deciding what you should accept visually and what you should not accept visually. So, in a way, I'm embracing the way things are right now. I agree. So, no, but yeah. to that point, I actually think that writing has gone a long way from Clement Greenberg. Like, I think that there's, like, a lot of writing out there that sort of reconsiders how we look that is not like telling you how to see that necessarily, but like maybe- I think that's like, just limiting. Yeah, exactly. I just want to say, I, I, I actually L don't- Lori has something to say, come to on. To be critical of an artwork means to see its potential and its limitation, both at the same time. There's a relationship, a dialectical relationship that's supposed to emerge. That's what it means to create a critique. I'm not going to have a conversation over Greenberg tonight, but I disagree. I've read a lot of Greenberg in my life, and I think he played a different role. But that's because I'm a critic and have a different role to play. But, um, yeah, I think that we have had a lot of problems with social media. We have a lot of problems who are the big, you know, the Jerry Salts of the world. You can hate and love him. And, you know, because of media, I think, look, I make my living in writing pieces for news journalism. And, you know, whatever, I'm 40, I can say whatever I want. That, like, you know, I write pieces for pay that do feel like PR with my voice, right? And that, that's what I'm required to do when I write for Sotheby's or at Basel. It's corporate writing. It's what I do. Um, and I just, you know, it's just a unique moment in Miami. And if I can make a slight small intervention in us thinking about critical things more, 
if there could be a talk. I don't. I didn't want to hijack the conversation. I wanted to plant the seed. I think so too. I fundamentally wanted to raise that point. I think that it is a unique moment for Miami and fully fundamentally, I do think having lived the last eight years in Berlin worked. I don't know how many of you know Spike Art Magazine. It's a very, very Berlin ingrained art, art criticism publication. Yes. Um, and it, the important role that I got to play when I had a senior editor role there, you know, trying to host certain kind of conversations and maybe it doesn't happen through writing, it happens through live conversations. That's where we can get some fire underneath our, you know, uh, and, yeah. and, 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 and spark conversations at the same time. It doesn't need necessarily to be writing, but other ways, because I think that that's what could truly make a lively scene happen that feels right, like it's burning and it's alive and- Right. Yeah. Yeah, I actually would love to, you know, I would love things that question, in part because if you're just basing your, if you're basing all of your aesthetic sort of, if you're just basing your whole artistic life on your likes, then it's a really good conversation to have. <laughs> so like whether or not. Exactly. That's how it sounds like maybe it's a good conversation to have. Okay, so I guess I guess we have to uh, end this this <laughs> on, a, on a very sweet note thank absolutely you, thank you so much Gabriel. thank you Omar. Thank, thank you natalia thank you this was thank great you so much i really yeah i enjoy it very much thank likewise, you likewise likewise